Well, good morning. Um, physician Horace Smith warns that in the church we must guard against spiritual auto, autoimmune disease, spiritual autoimmune disease where spiritual white cells see normal cells within the body as enemies and try to destroy them. Dr. Smith adds, it's possible for a human body to bite and devour healthy cells, destroying life. Sometimes white blood cells mistakenly attack healthy cells in the blood, causing disastrous results, and the immune system fails to recognize components of the body as normal. It then creates autoantibodies that attack its own cells, tissues, or organs. This causes inflammation and damage and leads to autoimmune disorders. For example, autoimmune hemolytic anemia is a group of disorders that attack the red blood cells as if they were substances foreign to the body's body. Like other causes of anemia, the person may experience shortness of breath, tiredness, and jaundice. And when the destruction of healthy red cells persists for a long period of time, the, the spleen may enlarge, resulting in a sense of abdominal fullness and pain. And he says that God intends for his body to be healthy, the members nourishing each other and uh, carrying the harmful waste away. And we need to think about this. We need to think about how this applies to the, to the body of Christ, you know, uh, conflict in the church can be destructive to the, to the body if it's not dealt with in a, in a way that is not uh, the way that God prescribes in his word. Uh, listen to what uh, Paul says in uh, Galatians, Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Paul says, through love, through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Is that not a picture of spiritual autoimmune disease? Um, you know, we've been, we've been studying First John for, for several weeks now, and it's, what's it about? It's about light. It's about life. It's about love and, and fellowship with God, fellowship with, with each other. And it's, it's a book we need, every one of us. And I think it's maybe appropriate uh, for, for a few weeks to uh, just step back a little bit, not too far, from First John and, and look at how we can exercise Christian love in the midst of conflict. You know, we have a choice. We have a choice in this church. Uh, we, can, we can bite and devour each other or... We can seek to glorify God. We can seek to glorify Christ, who's, who's the head of this church. We can seek to have a, a healthy body where we work together and love each other. So the question before us is, which will it be? And so this morning and, and in future weeks, I'd like, to, um, I'd like for us together to look at biblical peacemaking. What did Jesus say? He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. We'll be recognizable to the world as the children of God if we are people of peace. Jesus said that by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. That's the testimony we need in, in this community. And uh, I, I think that we all, and I'll start with myself, we all need lessons in biblical peacemaking. And so I'd, I'd like for us in 
humility to, to take this journey together. Are you guys willing to do that with me for the next few weeks? You know, if, if any of us sit back smugly and say, well, you know, so-and-so needs to listen to this, you know, they're the ones causing the problem. If any of us does that, we're, we're wrong. We, we all need God's lesson here in, in peacemaking. God is the God of peace. Jesus is, is the Prince of Peace. The Holy Spirit is called this, the Spirit of Peace. Do you suppose that means something? And so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to borrow from the, uh, the materials in uh, the materials from uh, Peacemaker Ministries. Uh, the, the president, Ken Sandy, has written some books, and I, I've given you a, a reference in the uh, notes for a couple of the books. The one that, that says uh, The Peacemaker, it's, it's, a, it's a very big book with lots of scripture reference, just full of, of Bible references. The other one is kind of a condensed version of the book. It's, you, could, you could read that very easily in a weekend, and I would re- highly recommend that, that book, Solving Everyday Conflict. These, these materials put a really heavy emphasis on God's way, on, on what God has to say about peace and reconciliation and conflict resolution. And, uh, of course, the Bible needs to be our primary source. The Bible is, is our, our go-to. God's word is, is our foundation. You know, be Bereans as we go through this. Look in your Bibles and see if these things are not so. That's what it says about the Bereans in the, in the book of Acts. They listened and they checked it out. That's what I want you guys to do. That's what I want all of us to do. And, you know, if, if we rely on our own inclinations here, what are we going to do? We're going to mess it up. We're going to do things in the wrong order. We're going to do it wrong. We're going to fail. We'll, we'll, mar our, mar, we'll mar our testimony as individuals. We're, we'll mar our testimony as a church to the, uh, the community. Yeah, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So first, um, I want to I want to talk about the the flames of conflict. The flames of conflict. You know, conflict is all around us. And uh, I, I said in a, a previous sermon, what was that? The universal jo- uh, law of uh, joints. You know, where where there are joints, there will be joint pain, and that's you know, the joints is how we're connected as, as a body. You know, wherever we have relationships, we're going to see conflict. We're going to have conflict. It's inevitable. We are people. (laughs) And why is this? It's, It's because we're all different. We have different opinions. We have different backgrounds. We have differing value systems. And it's humanly impossible to escape some amount of conflict whenever we're close to people in relationship it affects every aspect of our life. It affects us in our marriages. It affects us with our, our children and our family. It affects us at work. It affects us in church. Wherever we're around other people, we're going to see conflict. 
even, even when we do our very best to get along with people, we're going to find that we're sometimes misunderstood. We're going to see that our, our values maybe don't quite line up with somebody else's values. And sometimes anger is, is kindled at, at the slightest uh, provocation. And, you know, it's discouraging, is it not? It's, it's depressing. It wears us down. It, it can damage our relationships. It affects our relationship with God. You know, car, uh, conflict can tarnish our, our witness to, to a watching world. Sounds pretty bad, right? But we have hope. Absolutely, we have hope. We have the gospel. We are people of the gospel. We are people of the gospel. Beneficiaries of, of the good news of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus come to do? 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are people of the gospel. We are people of of reconciliation. This is the key. Jesus reconciled the world to God. We have hope through Jesus. We have a better way. We have hope for broken relationships. We have hope for for patterns of destruction. And I would venture to say that each of us in this building today has at least one broken relationship one unreconciled relationship with, with someone else. And I'll say with certainty that God wants to meet us in that, that, recon, or that relationship and he wants to help us to work on that relationship. You know, again, we're going to have differences. We're going to have disagreements with others. This is, this is inevitable. The thing is, how are we going to deal with them? That's the question. How we deal with them is going to have to change. You know, our, our hope is that our relationships can be transformed from, from being selfish and destructive to being God-glorifying and constructive. And if we're not willing to allow God to change us in our relationships, we don't have hope. We might as well just shut it down and leave and not come back. I don't want to do that. But we need to realize we all have conflict. I have conflict. You have conflict. And we all need to look to God to transform us. Just like that song is saying, you know, we need to rely on God to deform us, conform us, transform us in, in, you know, into his will, into, into his image, the image of Christ. We need, we need to seek him. We need to, uh, we need to re, uh, trust on him to give us a different heart, a different heart to deal with it. We need to go to God's word. James 4, 1 through 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. This is the anatomy of, of a conflict. You know, first there's a, there's a spark. There's a spark. You know, not, sparks are triggers for conflict. They're, they're not conflicts, but they're things that give opportunity for conflict. Chris and I stayed uh, a few years ago at a bed and breakfast for, for a night in, in Missoula. It was this really cool house built in the early 1900s, a, a craftsman-style house, and uh, it, it had been restored very nicely. But we talked to the uh, the hosts in, in the morning over breakfast, and they were talking to us and showing us pictures of this house that had burnt down, not completely, but partially burnt down. They had they had gone on vacation one summer during fire season, and there was a forest fire near Missoula, and there were firebrands floating around. You guys probably know a lot more about this than I do. These, these sparks flying through the air. And one of these firebrands, I guess, landed in a, a pile of brush that was up against the house. You know, something that they had meant to clean up but didn't. And the house partially burnt down. You know, they got, they got news while they were away. Their house was on fire. But, you know, there seem to be these firebrands and sparks around us all the time, right? Yes, they are. You know, we're, again, we're diverse in so many ways, and this is good. You know, we have, we have eyes and hands and feet. And we're all different. We're, that's how the body functions. We each have our differences, and we have our, you know, different, different perspectives and different functions, all doing different things. You know, this is how the body functions, and we have different preferences, our opinions don't always line up. In fact, they probably never do. And these, these differences can be normal. They can, they can be natural. But they spark inevitable misunderstandings. And here's our problem. You know, we, uh, we have naturally selfish and sinful desires. How do we respond when, when we disagree? You know, we, we don't normally turn to... We do not normally tend to prefer the other person's point of view, do we? No. We want our view to prevail. We want to win. We want to be right at all costs. Yes. That's what we do. And, uh, you know, James asks, what, what causes fights and quarrels? It's, he says it's the desires within you. Conflict starts in the heart. And this is where the spark ignites a flame. You know, we're, we're willing to fight when we don't get our way. And according to James, these, these cravings underlie conflict. You know, something that, we're, that we'll sin if we don't get. Things that we're sin, that we are willing to sin for to get. If it's been denied. And desires... These desires can escalate out of control and turn into sin. That's what James is saying here. These desires become idols in our hearts. They take the place of God. And these, these cravings, are, they're like gasoline being, being poured on the fire. Do you, do you see the progression? And we're all guilty of this. We're all susceptible to this. And our problem is this. What, what, is, what kind of message does this send the world when, when we do this? You know? In fact, what kind of message does the world send us 
that that supports this. You know, it's it's okay to be selfish, right? Have it your way. It's good to be selfish. You deserve it. That's what we hear. You know, we're we're a consumer society. And we feel we've got the absolute right to get whatever we want. But Philippians 2 gives us a different way, a better way. Philippians 2 says, Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But so we've we've got these passions, we've got these desires in our, our heart. If they go unmet... James says they, they lead to conflict and fights and, and, and quarrels. You know, um, what, are, what are these things that we desire that, that can lead to conflict? We could probably construct a pretty big list. You know, being in charge, having control. Again, again winning. You know, we, we want to win. We want... Maybe we demand respect. What are the, what are the unmet desires in, in your heart which cause relational conflicts? And then what's the result? Where, where does this end? You know, it, it begins as a spark. It becomes a fire. And, you know, there, there's so many types of fires. Some are huge conflagrations. Some... Fires end up in a divorce in marriages. Some end up with uh, family estrangement. You know, we, we, we know people who are estranged from family members. Some haven't talked to them for 20 years or more. Uh, lost friends, uh, church splits. But, you know, we can have smaller fires as well, Right? And what happens when we have these these smoldering fires, these these smoldering roots? You know, it, it wears on us, it drains us, uh, it creates despair. You know, happy happy smiling faces with with an underlying um, feeling of of resentment, perhaps, and and depression, and. Uh, yeah, how can, how can we live like this? But some of us do. Some sometimes for long periods of time. But we've got to keep going back to this. We have hope. Yeah, if we if we believe God's word, we can say yes, yes. It may not seem like it, but there is our our hope lies in looking to God. Our hope lies in in living the gospel of reconciliation. You know, God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God of peace. We need to be peacemakers. We need, we need to love and forgive others as God has loved and forgiven us. 1 John, love is a major theme. John's gospel as well speaks much about love, full of passages concerning love and unity. Uh, Jesus in John 13, 35, 34 and 35 says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the mark of a Christian. Jesus is saying, be different. Jesus is saying, you are different because you're mine. You follow me, therefore you love one another. 
You know, the, the world might be marked by conflict, but we need to be marked by love. In, in Jesus' prayer, he, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us. He prayed that uh, John 17, 21 through 23, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me is I have given to them that we may be one even, or they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage, you know. Unity so that people will know, so that the world will know that God sent Jesus to reconcile the world. God's got to be in this. You know, are are we different? Are are we distinctive? Are we are we unlike the world? Do, do our relationships point to the fact that God sent Jesus to save the world? You know, Matthew twenty two. What's what's the greatest commandment? Love love God, love love your neighbors. There's there's a beauty in the the simplicity of living the Christian life. You know, Jesus said all, all the commandments really are wrapped up into this, this one commandment of love. The whole law boils down to this. You know, it's God's plan. It's his desire that we live together and love one another in, in unity. Yeah. Not fighting, not backbiting, not biting and devouring, fault-finding, accusing, all that. You know, we need God. He's our hope. And he doesn't give us this commandment for unity without giving us the power. He, you know, the, the answer is not for us to do better or, or try harder or, you know, be nice. Just be nice. We, you know, we, we all know the command, but the power does not come from knowing it, but it comes from somewhere else. In Ephesians, Paul says, be kind and compassionate with one another just as Christ forgave you. That's our motivation. We, we need to understand that God first extended these things to us and then he empowers us to do the same. And, uh, you know, conflict can be an opportunity for us to glorify God. It can be an opportunity for us to do the things that God tells us to do. So we need a new way of thinking. We, we, Need a new way of thinking, all of us. How do we respond to conflict? Uh, what what decisions do we make? And in uh, in that book I told you about, the peacemaker, Ken Sandy, he 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 gives us this spectrum of of how we deal with conflict. On, on one end of the spectrum are the uh, uh, the escape responses. On the other end are the the attack responses. And in the middle are the, the biblical responses, the God-glorifying responses. And what happens when we use an escape response? We, we run. The, the focus is on running. You know, our one escape response is, is denial. We pretend that the conflict isn't there. What happens? The conflict doesn't go away, does it? it? 
Huh? It follows you. It simmers. It, it festers. Nothing gets resolved. If, if there are sinful behaviors, they, they remain, right? And they probably get worse. Another escape response is flight. We, we see this, you know, running away from the situation. Maybe, maybe we quit a job. Maybe we abandon a relationship. Maybe we divorce. Maybe um, you can keep coming up with things. Well, on the other end of the spectrum are the, the attack responses. In, this, in these responses, the, uh, the, the emphasis is on winning. One attack response is blame. You know, you did this. It's your fault. Have you said that? Have you heard that? You know, it, it, uh, it puts the responsibility of the conflict on the other person. And we try to completely exonerate ourselves, you know, not, not holding ourselves accountable in, in any way. And when we do this, what are we missing? Confession? Admission of guilt? Not, not holding ourselves accountable in, in any way? Uh, and, and we're unable to seek forgiveness because we insist it's the other person's fault? Uh, you know, true true forgiveness takes humility on on the part of of the one giving it. Does it not? It's when you forgive somebody. What's what is it saying? It's saying I'm gonna I'm gonna make a covenant here with you. I am no longer gonna hold this against you. I'm not gonna hold you hostage to my bad feelings. I'm not gonna bring this up again. I'm not gonna make you keep paying for what. You think I have done? No, Jesus says, forgive as I've forgiven you. The principle here is that we are the most forgiven people in the world. We need to be the most forgiving people in the world. That's one attack response. Another one is gossip. What, what happens when we gossip? We're, we're bringing other people into our sin. We're taking this conflict and putting it into the uh, the court of public opinion. You know, we we we're uh, we're forming a jury and and trying to convince them to come over to our view, our point of view, and that's that's easy for us to do. You know, when we've been wronged, we want everybody to know it, don't we? So let's let's form a team of punishers. Let's form a, a team of, of haters. Let's let's circulate letters of, of accusations. You know, does this sound familiar? When we do this, we're again we're just dragging people in and, and inviting them to share in, in our own sin. Another attack response is uh, assault. You know, we, we assault usually not physically, but with our tongues. We we intimidate others, maybe we maybe accuse others, maybe we slander them, we we prosecute them. Uh, you know, in extreme examples, we may pe- take people to court in a, a lawsuit, and this this can and does happen in in 
relationships. It happens in marriages. It happens in business relationships. It happens with neighbor relationships. In marriages, maybe both spouses are attackers. Uh, I, I know of one couple, not here, not, no, not in Washington, not even in this state, not even in the West, but I know of this one couple I'm related to, and it's not us either, who can, they, they rightly describe their marriage as a bloodbath. I've heard them say that. They are both attackers. You know, what happens if you have one attacker and, and one escaper? You know, there, there will be a, a simmering, there, there will be a stewing, and, and uh, you know, eventually anger is, is going to boil up. And sometimes, sometimes we might toggle. You know, we, we escape. And this is something I'm guilty of. I might escape, deny, and everything, but, you know, it's simmering, it's boiling, it's festering, and then <laughs> attack, you know. We do that. Or maybe, uh, maybe attack and then escape. That's, you know, hit and run. But this, this spectrum of, res, of responses actually in the book, if you look at the picture, it's not a line. It's a, it's a half circle. And so you have the, uh, the attack responses here. You have the escape responses here. You have the godly biblical responses here. And if we go to one side a little too far or another, we, re, we, we run the danger of slipping and sliding into those unbiblical, ungodly responses and this, uh, what I want to do over, over the next, you know, we may not do them all in a row, but, you know, in, in the future, we'll, we're going to have four sermons. And the model that, uh, that is given in, in this Peacemaker materials is a model based on four G's, like the letter G. We'll be looking at each of these. They're, they're, they should be done in sequence. This is the godly way of peacemaking, the godly model, according to uh, Peacemaker Ministries. The first one, the first G is, is, I'm giving you a little preview here. Go to higher ground. Go higher. You know, the first thing that we need to do is, is to bring God into the situation, bring God into the conflict. You know, we, uh, we need to be concerned with, with having God as part of this. You know, that's sometimes the last thing we want to do, you know, especially since if, if we know we're, we're sinning. You know, how, what do we want to be? You know, how, how do we want to be? You know, we, we have values, hopefully, you know, like honesty and integrity and uh, mercy and, and such things. You know, how do we live out those values, those godly values. You know, we, we need to run to these in conflict. We need to run to God in, in conflict. So, you know, the, the, the question is, whenever there's a conflict, we need to ask ourselves a very simple question. How, how can I honor God in this conflict? How can I please him? And this is our biggest mistake, leaving God out of it. So go, go to higher ground. Go to God. That's the first G. The second one is uh, get real about yourself. You know, we need to ask ourselves, what, what is my part in this conflict? 
And usually my immediate response is, not me. It's not me. I had nothing to do with it, you know. But, you know, even if that's mostly true, maybe if I'm only 2% responsible, I am 100% responsible for that 2%, am I not? Jesus said, get the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in your, your brother's eye. Get real. Examine yourself. Um, you know, we, we're all wearing blinders. We, we need to start with our, ourselves. That's, that's the biblical way. Notice we're, we're halfway through and we haven't even addressed the other person. But that's the third one. Gently restore. It's, it's gently engaging others. You know, only after inviting God into the conflict, only after examining ourselves, do we enter this state, this step. And this is where Matthew 18 comes in. Matthew 18:15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's very important. Between you and him alone. That's the first step. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. You know, pray it, it can just be resolved there. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is helping others to see their part in, in the conflict. You know, our, our goal is to uh, get our brother back from the edge of a cliff. It's, it's not to blast him, to make him suffer, to make him pay. This, this is meant to be restorative. This is meant to be done in love. This is, this is the stage where, though, as a result of unrepentance, it may come to discipline. But the goal is always to provide a path of restoration, always to provide a path of reconciliation. Even at the very end, there should be an open path of reconciliation and restitution, restoration, maybe restitution too, I don't know. But, you know, we can't emphasize this enough. The step is to bring our brother back, to bring our sister back into proper relationship with the Lord and with others. It's not condemnation, it's not punishment, it's not meant to destroy, but to restore. And we can't forget that. And we might point out that it seems like most of the time people jump into this process at almost at the end of stage three, right? They have not invited God into the conflict, they have not examined themselves, they've not talk to this person in private. They've not talked to this person with witnesses, but they go to the court of public opinion directly. Well, the fourth G is uh, the place where we want to be. Go and be reconciled. Go and be reconciled. This is, this is the giving and receiving of forgiveness. And you know what? What a sad thing when we never reach this place of, of forgiveness. You know, we end, we end up with bitter, estranged people. We end up with destroyed relationships. 
we end up with splits. And uh, there's, there's one one last thing I want to bring up here, and we'll, we'll talk more about it later. But it's it's a very important principle, and it's the principle of overlooking. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it's his glory to overlook an offense. I would, I would contend probably 95% of our conflicts could be resolved right there, just overlooking. It's beautiful, really. You know, the conflict might be small enough just to stamp out the fire without pouring gasoline on it and... You know, this, this principle of overlooking asks, overlooking asks the question, is this really worth fighting over? Is this really worth fighting about? You know, can we, can we agree to disagree? Can we realize that maybe it's healthy for us to have some differences? You know, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. Can we, can we live in that, that tension which produces agreement, love, and the body working together in a healthy manner. You know, can we, can we, can we live in this tension of a relationship where, where our, uh, maybe our opinions diverge a little bit? Can we be okay with that? So, you know, we, we need to be able to put our conflict into context and you know we can we can overlook things within the larger context and i think the apostle paul gives a beautiful example of this in philippians we we went through this where he says uh, some indeed preach christ from envy and rivalry but others of goodwill the latter do it out of love knowing that i'm put here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaim christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Listen to this. He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Do you hear what he's saying? Paul could get very angry at these people who were preaching the gospel out of the wrong motives. My guess would be probably his initial reaction was anger. But apparently he got over that. Apparently he decided to overlook because within the larger context, he knew that the gospel of Christ was being proclaimed. No matter what the motives are, he's okay with that. He's going to let it go. He's going to overlook it. And he rejoices that the gospel's going out. And so, you know, we, we take offense too easily, don't we? We tend to be very uh, thin-skinned against offenses towards us, but very thick-skinned towards others, when it should be just the opposite. We should be thick-skinned about offenses against us and thin-skinned towards others. This is hard. But you know, if the uh, if the offense has not created a a wall between us and the other person, if if the offense is not causing serious harm to this person or to me or to others, you know, maybe we can let it go. You know, this isn't saying that sin doesn't matter. 
but it's saying treat others the way God treats us. So, can we be peacemakers? Do we want to be peacemakers? Do we want peace? We need to ask ourselves these questions, you know. We, do we want to live out the gospel? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. May we seek to please God in this area. May we seek to please God in our, our relationships. Let's pray. Uh, Father, in, in the name of Jesus, as, as you have forgiven, let us forgive. As you have brought reconciliation, let us be those who bring reconciliation. As, as you are the God of peace, let us be peacemakers. Amen.